Section 5 of Last Call for Sector 9G by Lee Brackett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. 5. Susan was screaming, Let me out! Let me out! She was pounding on something. Durham started up. He must have slept or passed out. The box was perfectly still now. There was no sense of motion, but he could tell by the changing gravity that the ship was in space. Susan was by one of the windows. She was pounding on it with her favorite implement, the heel of her shoe. Durham went to her and glanced out. Cold sweat broke out on him and he grabbed her hand. Stop it! Are you crazy? He wrenched the shoe from her and threw it across the small space of the box. Then he felt of the glass, peering at it, frantic lest she should have cracked it. I'm going to get out, said Susan grimly, and groped for something heavier. Look. He shook her and turned her to face the window. Do you see that air out there? The box now stood in a large, empty hold. He could see the curve of the ship's hull, ribbed with tremendous struts of steel and a deck of metal plates glistening in the green light. Green light? Earth ships have a yellow-white type light, the kind that the sun gives off. Well, yes, but suppose that the sun was green. Nantadik circles a green star. So does Senyadik. Those creatures outside the ship were anything but humanoid. Jub's dark bird herded us in here. Easy. Now we know. What about the air? asked Susan. Let go of me. It's poisonous. Can't you tell by looking at it? It rolled and roiled and sluggishly shifted in vapors of thick chartreuse and vivid green. And don't you remember... They were wearing pressure suits. They couldn't live in our atmosphere. We surely couldn't live in theirs. There was no answer. Susan? Susan? I want to go home, she said and began to cry. There now, Susie, take it. Don't call me Susie. All right, but take it easy. I'll find out what the situation is and then I'll... You'll what? You'll make a mess of things, just like you always have. You'll get me into more trouble, just like you got me into this. You're no good, Lloyd, and I wish I'd never seen you. I wish I'd never come to say goodbye. She rushed to the window and began to pound on it again, this time with her fists. Durham hauled her away and shook her until her jaw rattled together. I'm sorry you came too, he said savagely. You're the last person in the galaxy I'd pick to be in trouble with. Damned, spoiled female with no honesty, no courage, no nothing but your father's position to trade on. He wrapped his arms tight around her. Hell, this is no time to be quarreling. Let's both keep our mouths shut. Come on, honey. We're not dead yet. She choked a little and stood trembling against him. Then she said, I think I fell over a chair a while ago. Maybe there's a lamp. Let's look. 
The green light was dim, but their eyes were used to it. They found a lamp and turned it on. The box was flooded with a clear white glare, very grateful to earthly senses. Durham looked around and said slowly, I'll be damned. The box was about the size of a small room. It had in it an armchair, a bunk, compact cupboards and lockers, a sink and hot plate, and a curtained-off corner with a sanitary device. Durham turned on one of the sink taps. Water came out. He turned it off and went and sat down in the armchair. I'm damned, he said again. Freezer, said Susan, looking into things. Food concentrates, pots and pans, blanket, change of clothes, all men's, booze, two bottles of it, rack of microbooks. Somebody went to a lot of trouble. Yes. Pretty comfortable. Everything you need, all self-contained. Uh. But Lloyd, it's only for one. He said dismally, We'll take turns on the bunk. But it wasn't the bunk that worried him. He went and looked out of the other window. By craning his head, he could see an assembly of storage tanks, pressure tanks, pumps, purifiers, blower units, all tightly sealed against any admixture of senian air. That, too, was only for one. A most ghastly claustrophobia came over Durham, and for a moment he saw Susan, not as a spoiled and pretty girl, but as his rival for the oxygen that was life. Susan said, Lloyd, something is coming in. For an instant, he thought she meant into the box, and then he realized that the reverberating clang he heard must be the hatch door of the hold. He joined her at the opposite window. There were two, no, three dark shapes coming toward the box, moving swiftly through the green and chartreuse vapors. They undulated on two pairs of stubby legs, set fore and aft under a flexible lower body. Their upper bodies, carried erect, were rather bulbous and tall, with well-defined heads and two sets of specialized arms, the lower ones thick and powerful for heavy work, the upper ones as delicate as an engraver's fine tools. Their skin was a glossy black, almost like patent leather. They wore neat harnesses of what looked like metal webbing in the way of dress, and on the breast strap each one carried an insignia. Ship's officers, Durham guessed. Probably one of them's the captain. They're horrible, said Susan. She backed away from the window until the end of the bunk caught her behind the knees and she sat down. Durham laughed. A fine pair of cosmopolites we are. We're used to the idea of non-humanoids. There are a lot of them on the hub, but they're mostly segregated by necessity, so we practically never really see any. But now we're the ones who have to be segregated. The reality is quite another thing from the idea, isn't it? He backed away himself, a step or two, until shame made him stop. The three non-humanoids came and looked with large, iridescent eyes through the window. Their oddly shaped mouths moved rapidly, so he knew that they were talking, 
and their slender upper arms were as mobile and expressive as the hands of so many girls at sorority tea. Then one of them turned and did something to the wall of the box, and suddenly Durham could hear them clearly. There was a speaker device beside the window. Durham sprang at it. Can you hear me? Can you hear me out there? Listen, you have no right to do this. You've got to take us back. Miss Hawtrey is the daughter of... Mr. Durham. The voice was unhuman but strong, and the Esperanto it spoke was perfectly understandable. Please calm yourself and listen to what I have to say. I appreciate your feelings. Ha! But there is nothing I can do about it. I have my orders, and I can assure you... From Jub? You'll be fully informed when you reach Senyadik. Meanwhile, I can assure you that no harm will come to you, now or later. So please put your fears at rest. A little patience. Susan had leaped up. Now she flung herself upon the speaker mic. What about me? Your presence was unexpected, and I fear it's going to be rather difficult for you both. But you must make the best of it. In regard to air and water, I must caution you that the supply will hardly be adequate for you both unless you are extremely careful. This had not occurred to Susan before. You mean... I mean that you must use no more water than is absolutely necessary for drinking and preparing your food. The food you must share between you, on half rations. As for the air... Yes, said Durham. What about the air? I believe that activity has the effect of increasing your metabolism, thereby consuming more oxygen, so I would advise you both to move and speak as little as possible. Remain calm. Remain quiet. In that way, you should be able to survive. It is not that we are grudging. It is simply that we cannot share any of our supplies with you, because you are alien life forms and totally incompatible. If we had known there would be two, we would have prepared. As it is, you must work together to conserve. But, said Susan, but this isn't fair. It isn't right. You'll take me back or my father will see to it. Keep this speaker open, said the Senyan, so that you will be able to hear the audio signal. A sustained note repeated at intervals of 40 seconds. Prepare to enter overdrive. He did not say goodbye. He merely went away with his two officers. Susan screamed after them. Durham clapped his hand over her mouth and took her forcibly and put her on the bunk. Lie there, he said. Quiet. Didn't you hear him? Don't move. Don't talk. He sat down in the chair, consciously trying not to breathe deeply. But... Shut up. Don't you say shut up to me, Lloyd. This is all your fault. My fault? Mine? Because you had to shove yourself in? Shove myself? Father was right about you. And it is your fault. If you hadn't asked me to ride down with you... Oh, shut 
up, damn it. That's just like a woman. If you knew your next breath was your last one, you'd still have to use it for talk. You want to asphyxiate us both with your gabbling? She was quiet for a long while. Then he realized that she was crying. Lloyd, I'm scared. So am I. He began to laugh. When I come to think of it, it was your father that got us both into this. I hope he sweats blood in great gory streams. You're a drunken, ungrateful swine. If Dad really did give you another chance. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, remember the oxygen. He did, and I was such a fat-headed idiot, I thought it was on the level. I even reformed. He laughed again, briefly. Overcome with gratitude, I did exactly what I was supposed not to do. I sobered up and held my tongue. I don't understand at all. I was supposed to talk, Susan. I was given a message and I was supposed to babble it all over the hub. I don't know exactly what the message was intended to trigger off when it got into circulation. Probably a war. But I'll bet I know what I triggered off by not talking. Trouble for your old man. I don't believe a word of it. Durham shrugged. It was very little effort to reach out and lift a bottle from a nearby cupboard. He opened it and took a long pull. Then he looked at the bottle, shook his head, and passed it to Susan. She made a derisive noise, and he shrugged again. That's right. Funny thing. First I was stricken with remorse and determined to be worthy. Now I'm just mad. Before I get through, I'm going to hang your father higher than Haman. The audio signal, shrill and insistent and sounding somehow as unhuman as the voices of the Senyans, came piercingly through the speaker. Susan gasped. Wherever they're taking us, they're not going to kill us, are they? I think they want to question us. I think some dirty work is going on. One of those million credit swindle things you hear about once in a while. And I think your father is right up to his neck in it. If I'm right, that's the chief reason you were brought along. I think you're a dirty low-down liar, she said in a voice he could hardly hear. The signal continued to squeal. Durham moved to the bunk. Slide over. No. But she did not fight him when he pushed himself in beside her and took her into his arms. The haughty Miss Hawtree, he said and smiled. You're a mess. Hair in your eyes, makeup all smeared, tears dripping off the end of your nose. The light dimmed, became strange and eerie. They could have made this damned bunk a little wider doesn't matter. After a trip like this, I won't have any reputation left anyway. Nobody would believe me on oath. The fabric of the ship shifted, strained, slipped, moved. The fabric of Durham's body did likewise. He set his teeth and said, Don't worry, dear. I can always ask the captain to marry us. By the time the audio signal shrilled again, 
heralding a return to solar system speeds in space, it seemed that ages had passed. They did not talk about marriage now, even in jest. They hated each other. Cabin fever, they had said politely for a while, making excuses. But they did not bother with excuses anymore. They just had simply and quietly loathed each other as the long, timeless time went by. Pity, too, thought Durham, looking at Susan where she lay in the bunk. She's really a handsome wench, even without all the makeup and the hairdo and those incredible undergarments that women use as though they were semi-liquescent. Just lying there in her slip now, she looks younger, gentler, nice and soft, as though she'd be pleasant to hold in your arms again if you had the strength and the oxygen and if you didn't hate her so. Lloyd? Huh. How long before we land? How should I know? Well, we could find out. You find out. You can yell as loud as I can. Louder. I'll yell, said Susan ominously, the second I get out of here. I'll yell so loud the whole galaxy will hear me. I should think they've already heard you clear out to Andromeda. The lights dimmed. The peculiar noises and wrenchings that went along with coming out of overdrive began. Durham braced himself. It's too bad you reformed, said Susan. You used to be amusing company, at least. Now you're sour and bad-tempered. You're also... What he was also, Durham never heard. There was a crashing, roaring, rending impact. The chair went out from under him so that he fell face up into the ceiling. The lights went out entirely. He heard a faint sound that might have been Susan screaming. Then the ceiling slid away from him and spilled him down a wall. As he went scrabbling past the window, he looked out and saw that there were now long, vertical rents in the outer hall through which the stars were shining. The pumps had stopped. A long, settling groan, and then silence. The anti-grav field was dead. Durham floated, along with everything else that was not bolted down. Susan, he said. Susan? Here. They met and clung together in mid-air while the hull began a slow axial rotation around them. What happened? We hit something. The Senyans. They must all be done for. The hull is split wide open. Head on ram, I think, just as we came out of overdrive. They wouldn't have had time to get space armor. Then are we... Hush. Don't talk. Just wait and see. They clung together, silent. The hall turned without sound, and the stars shone in through the long slits into the empty vacuum of the hold. Lloyd, I can't breathe. Yes, you can. We still have as much air as ever. It just isn't circulating now. I don't know if I can stand this, Lloyd. It's such an awful way. There isn't any way that's good. It won't be so bad, really. You'll just go off to sleep. Hold on to me? Sure. Lloyd. What? 
I'm sorry. So am I. The hall turned and the stars glittered. The vitiated air grew foul, grew thick and leaden. The man and woman floated in the closed space, their arms tight around each other, their faces close together. Something jarred against the hall. Lloyd, I see a light. It's only a star. No, look through the window, moving. Men, humans, wearing pressure suits, had come into the hall. Two of them were dragging oxygen bottles. They came up to the box and flashed their lights in through the windows. They knocked and made reassuring signs. After a minute or two, fresh oxygen hissed in under pressure through the air duct. Susan laughed a little and then fainted. Durham still held her in his arms. Everything got pleasantly dark and far away, lost in the simple joy of breathing. There were sounds and motions, but he did not pay much attention to them, and he was mildly surprised when he happened to float past a window and noticed that now there was only space outside very large and full of hot, splendid lights. When he passed the other window, he saw part of a ship, and he understood that the box was being hoisted across the interval between it and the wreck. It seemed a remarkably kind dispensation of fortune to have provided a ship at exactly the right time and place, and not just any ship, but one equipped with the specialized tackle required for moving heavy loads in space. A mighty cargo hatch swallowed the box. Susan came too, and they waited, weakly hysterical. Durham had not even noticed that a spiky shadow had slipped in with the box. Suddenly again there was man-made light, and then the sound of heavy air pumps reached them. The pumps stopped and, quite simply, men came in and opened the door of the box. There was a considerable noise and confusion, Everybody talking at once. Durham lost track of Susan. He was only partly conscious of what he was doing, but he felt that everyone was in a hurry to get something done. Then there was a cabin with a port in it, and beyond the port there was space, and in that space a great light flared blindingly and was gone. End of Section 5